Coming up, you know this week's guest as the man who attempts to maintain order backstage, but long before that, he was simply scrap iron. WWE official Adam Pierce joins the show as ATB starts now. Welcome, welcome, welcome to After the Bell. I am still Corey Graves, and imagine this. I am excited about today's show. One of my longest-standing friends in this business, which if you ever listen to anybody tell stories, they're few and far between, but I've known this dude for somewhat like 15 years. Uh, So I'm excited to have this conversation and let the WWE Universe, the ATB faithful, get to know a little bit more about the man who has been gracing or cursing, depending on your point of view, television screens for the past several months. He is my guest. He is Adam Pierce. Adam, it is nice to finally be in your presence without you trying to break up some sort of backstage melee or, uh, you know, getting contracts signed or whatever task you've been assigned for that given day. Uh, When I found out that uh, you were available to join ATB, I was like, we got to get my old friend Scrap Daddy on the show. My pleasure. And before we talk about anything, let's talk about how sweet your shirt is, by the way. Where'd you get oh, that? Thank you. Thank you. This is uh, this is a little something that uh, there's, a, there's a place in Pittsburgh, a company in Pittsburgh that is putting out a line of uh, Bruno memorabilia. And I am a big fan. I was I was lucky enough to be one of the first that had it sent to me. So uh, I, I might know a guy. I could probably take care of some things. They're very soft. I'm sure they're going like to cut that. this out because it's not on WWE shop, but <laughs> it's in the <laughs> Hall of Fame. It's fine. XL, XL yes, for a brother. Yeah. I, I, will, I will take care of it for sure. Now that you're not breaking up fights backstage or getting contracts signed or other impossible tasks at your feet, it's nice to have a little time to catch up. Dude, how many years have you and I spent running the roads in this crazy industry? It's absolutely insane to think about. I mean, it's been well over a decade that you and I have known each other. We've had our own separate paths, which I want to delve right. into yours a little bit. But yeah, it's absolutely wild how the whole business kind of come full circle. It's just amazing, dude. They, you know, they always tell you, I'm sure you heard the same thing like I did coming in. You're going to meet the same people on the way up that you do on the way down. And I feel like our generation of guys has kind of all traveled the same direction at the same time in a lot of ways. And it's very cool to see. It, it's a true marathon. But you said the generation that we all kind of kind of came up with, you were actually a, a half a step ahead of me in that right after I discovered independent wrestling, I would say I was in maybe eighth or ninth grade. The internet, the early days of the internet, there were a few right. wrestling websites I would visit. And this was like a whole new world to me. I knew obviously WWE, WCW, but the indies to me were very unfamiliar. And I was just very intrigued that there was this whole subculture of wrestling. And sure. I will never forget going to this. I, I can't remember the website off the top of my head, but they had a ranking of the top 10 independent wrestlers. And number one was this long-haired kid with a big bandana <laughs> called Scrap Iron Adam Pierce. The bandana was because the hairline was taking a nice <laughs> sharp turn to the back, brother. Even then, dude, WooWrestling.com. I that was it. About. That <laughs> exactly was it. It absolutely was, man. It was crazy. So, so this was before I think I had even broken in or, or begun training. I was just fascinated by it, and I started training to to be a pro wrestler when I was still in high school. I think I was in tenth tenth grade. Um, so I, and it had been, it would be many moons before you and I physically crossed paths, but that was my first exposure to you. How did you enter this insane world of sports entertainment? Well, just like you, dude, like, uh, I grew up loving wrestling. I grew up in Chicago. So I was an AWA kid growing up. So it was Nick Bockwinkle and Hulk Hogan and Larry Zabisco and Bobby Heenan and Gene Okerlund and, and all those names that 
WWE fans are very familiar with, I was exposed to even before that. It was a different world, the AWA. But just like you, in high school, same thing. I started training in 95, so I was a junior in high school uh, and and just fell in love with the, the opportunity and the craziness and what we watched on Saturday mornings when we wake up. I didn't watch cartoons, I watched wrestling, you know, and, and that was the way it was. And much like so many of the people from our generation, we all have a very similar story. Like it presented ourselves itself to us. And, and there it was And independence. I was just like you, what is this independent wrestling? I remember seeing cards being advertised in suburbs of where I lived with guys I'd never heard of until I was a junior in high school. And there was a cable access show. Remember cable access? Is that even oh, a yeah. thing anymore? Yeah, I don't think it exists anymore. Oh, we have the internet. So everything's cable access now. Fair point, fair point. But there was a guy on this cable access show that I would see named Sonny Rogers, who I'd seen on WWE and AWA TV getting his butt kicked a thousand times. And he was advertising a card in the town that I grew up in, Waukegan, Illinois. And I'm like, hey, the dude that I see getting beat up by Key Kong Bundy on TV on Saturdays, wrestling at the high school gym, I have to go. I went, I met him, and here we are. There it is, man. It's crazy how... Everybody sort of had that same because the times have changed just obviously in life and in the world, but it's affected our business in that there weren't wrestling schools on every corner and not everybody who had a cup of coffee in the big time opened a wrestling school. Like you had to sort of seek things out. I trained in what was the, the back of a storefront, the storage facility, essentially in an abandoned mall, the front part of the, of the, the, facility was a sports card slash candy shop. And when I say abandoned, I mean, the, the mall was open for business, but there were like four mom and pop shops right. and a pet store. There was no actual stores. You couldn't really buy anything. But in the back of this, this card shop was a, an arena, basically a small arena, no heating, no air conditioning. And so when I uh, first started training, I'd get in and literally cold, try to like run laps to warm up. And then, right. you know, thank God it was 35 degrees in the room and I, I somehow survived, but that was, that was the due paying days. There wasn't like, Hey, I emailed so-and-so and now I'm booked. I didn't make a video and put it on YouTube and get a contract. Yeah, exactly. So, so Sonny Rogers school, and I'll, I'll do the air quotes when I say school, even though I definitely got an education there was on the third floor of an office building directly across the street from the Aragon Ballroom in Chicago, which if you're a music fan, the Aragon Brawl Room, if you will. Every hardcore, heavy metal band played there. I I heard so many concerts for free across the street. It was (laughs) unbelievable. But it was on the third floor. The the bottom floor, there was actually like a credit union or a bank. And then above that, it was described as a night school, which I never saw anybody there attending any classes, although there were placards on the doors, like machine shop room, 215. We were on the third floor, down the hall, away from everything in this. Dude, the ring barely fit in the room. I'm looking around my living room like this is the same kind of size. But yeah, <laughs> imagine a 20 by 20 square room with a ring barely fitting in it. This ring had two ropes. Of course, every it seems like every independent ring when you I don't need it. the bottom rope. Yeah, you never <laughs> had one if you wanted it anyway. But yeah, same thing. Chicago winners on the third floor in the uh in the adult night school uh freezing and getting an education crazy but looking back you wouldn't have changed a thing not a damn thing not i walked in november 5th actually 1995 was it was a sunday the first day i went and there's ace steel who's back with the company now as a trainer at nxt putting the ring together so i've literally known ace steel who's with us again one of those generational guys that come along for the ride 
since the first second I set foot in a wrestling ring. It's crazy. It's, yeah, crazy it's wild it to think about. I, it, I think of how long I've known Ace, yep. uh, just from brushing shoulders and, and through mutual acquaintances, you and yep. Punk and Cabana and that, that sure. whole Midwest crew. And, and to, to see him now as a trainer and you, yourself as a producer and the whole generation kind of came up in, in small doses, but you first you had your punk and, yep. and now Samoa Joe and, yep. and even in, in other companies, our generation is all AJ Styles. Everybody's Seth Rollins. Yeah, Rollins, exactly. You know, yeah. it, it's, it's absolutely wild to think about. G3 Assistance through Virginia's community colleges is your pathway to a new future, helping those who qualify pay for school and train for the right career. Right where you are, right now. Get a skill. Get a job. Get ahead. You can learn more at vccs.edu forward slash G3. So tell me a little bit more about your journey and how you escaped the uh, the Chicago wrestling training facility and actually made something of yourself. Well, you know, I think like any fine, upstanding Midwestern independent wrestler that kind of cuts their teeth and finally gets their boots and goes on the road, it was the summer fair circuit, man. Every county fair from Chicago, Milwaukee, Green Bay, Minneapolis, Des Moines, St. Louis, Indianapolis, Cleveland, Pittsburgh, Nashville. Dude, I could work anywhere, anywhere I could drive, I drove and I drove and I drove. I had a 1990 Buick Century, baby blue Buick Century that I put 270,000 miles on running these roads and getting different education in front of different people every night. Something that I think is completely sorely missed by today's generation. Seems like people don't get out there and go. To your point earlier, we could upload a video to YouTube and have a, a million people click on it in 15 seconds. There's no more VHS tapes. Hey, man, can I get a double my match? Put it on a tape. Right. Let me go get eight by tens. Let me actually type a resume and then snail mail it to some dude who's never going to watch it. It doesn't yeah. exist anymore. We so. sound like Statler and Waldorf right now. Trust <laughs> the old vets just going, these kids these days have it so it's good. True. But that, was, that was it. I remember, I remember going to a, I believe it was a horror movie convention or a comic book show or something in Pittsburgh with a, a physical VHS tape of my like four matches and, and handing it to the blue meanie who was running uh three PW in the old ECW arena. And, Such and a I, good dude. I one of the best people I've ever known yeah. in this business. Yeah. Love him to death. Uh, but I, I knew I was like, man, I got to get my stuff seen. So I paid the 20 bucks or whatever you had to, to get in with no other interest. I had no intention of checking out comic books or anything. I just I wanted to get this tape and I physically handed it to him. Sure enough, a few months later, I got a, I got an email or a call saying, "Hey, you want to come come work?" And that was that was kind of really what started me on that path. How many times did you show up to a show that you weren't booked on, but you rode with somebody, and because somebody invariably wasn't going to show up, and you had your gear in the car, you were booked that night? I had a flashback to that doing commentary a few weeks ago when Daniel Bryan started SmackDown in his street clothes. We cut to commercial, came back, and Brian's now in his gear. And yep. I made a little comment. I said, well, that's why they teach you in wrestling school. Never you know, always have your gear with you. That's right. But I was laughing because there was an element. Of, Brian's another one. He was like the independent guy when I first broke in. He was like the of only course. one that was doing anything. And he was on every show of importance. And it was like, oh, this guy's going to be cool. And now he's freaking Daniel Bryan, headline WrestleMania. Course. 
Yep. But but yeah, the, the stuff that we had to, to do, and it, it's not that long ago. You know, I mean, it's relatively recent history, but it, it feels, feels like that long ago, right? Eons ago, man. It's absolutely crazy. So you start sending tapes and driving more miles than, you know, most people travel in their life. When, when would you consider you had a, a break for the first time? Wow. Uh, I don't know. Some would say I'm still waiting for it. No. <laughs> you know, dude, I think uh, like so many of us that had a chance to come through Ring of Honor, yeah. that's kind of when, when I got to Ring of Honor and I guess it would be 05, I can't remember. I think it was 05-ish. And everybody we've been talking about was there. Right. We felt like, okay, now this is a locker room of contemporaries that you want to be around. You know what I mean? And that you want to kind of cut your teeth with and learn from and progress with. And that was probably the first thing a couple of years later, being involved with the NWA and that in our incarnation and running around and having the opportunity to have that thing and working with guys like you for that thing. Like uh, it gave you a sense that you were doing something right. So, so don't gloss over that. Cause I want to, I want to dig into this cause I know how, how much it means to you. And in the grand scheme of the business, it's very significant. Maybe probably doesn't get right. the attention and love it should, but the NWA championship, I mean, a second only to what the WWE championship, as far as, prestige some would argue the other i mean it's been around longer i mean sure who's who harley race rick flair everyone of the greats has held it you yep. had the honor of being the lineal nwa heavyweight champion crazy how does that hit you i mean and again this is to be fair it's not the nwa that, that we grew up watching on television as far no. as viewership and notoriety but it's still the title it is the the big gold the 10 pounds of gold so to speak so when I think about it and, and the way I've characterized this in the past to people is that I consider that thing, the 10 pounds of gold, the kind of the godfather to all wrestling championships. Okay. Right. So you could, you could trace, you could trace that lineage back to that thing and the names on that list of champions, the, the cavalcade of hall of famers, if you will, mm -hmm. your Ric Flair's and your Harley races and dusty roads and, and even coming forward, AJ styles, uh, Chris Park abyss, who I work with every week on television right, myself, right. You know, just our truth. Yeah. Our, we can't oh, leave truth off the list. <laughs> of course not. Yeah. Of course not. Yeah. My point is, this thing has spanned the uh, the eons, if you will, and and has always been kind of one of those markers that that say, okay, if that guy's wearing that championship, he's worth your time, he's worth your money, and he means something. And just to to be on that list is awesome. And it afforded me the opportunity to travel all over the world before I even got to to WWE, which gave me insight into to so many different things. And, and I keep going back to the word education because I really feel like it allowed me as a performer, as a wrestler to see so many different things and work with so many different people. It just made me better all the way around. And notwithstanding, that thing meant something. It does mean something. And when I would walk into a locker room, the amount of people, never mind wrestling me, the guys always wanted to take a picture with that. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. I think about when you and I worked in, in Pennsylvania, I forget what year it was. We had more fun playing around with that thing. I don't remember anything from the match. I think I dinged in the nose if I'm remembering that right. I actually remember. <laughs> I, I was thinking about it. Continue your story. We'll go jump back to that match. My point is everybody wanted to play with the 10 pounds of gold, the, the, the wrestling toy. And, and that says something. Sure. Well, I mean, how many of us grew up? I, I remember having the action figures with the, with the, that title. I mean, it was, yep. it was a sticker on a piece of plastic, but in those days, <laughs> back when we actually played with toys and not computers. <laughs> exactly. Oh man. But yeah, it is. It, it's, it's insane. I mean, that's like to a true blue fan, someone who's grown up loving this. I mean, that's like getting, getting to hold the Lombardi trophy or, or something of that significance, you know, it's a great, great way to put it.
Yep. And, and that's, uh, to me, that's what it's always felt like. I always felt like too, as champion that I had a responsibility to those that came before me. When I had my WWE trial in 2012, I, you know, you go and you went through the experience too. You have your, your couple days of trial and the last day you're having matches and, you know, uh, Jerry Briscoe specifically for my story was the one who was saying, okay, you and you four minutes, you and you five minutes, you and you six minutes, Pierce, you and him for 12 minutes. And I go 12 minutes. And he goes, now we're going to find out why you wore the same championship oh, as my brother. <laughs> that's, that's wild though, man. That, that's really cool. Because in the day, I mean, that, that was a point of pride. I mean, if Jack Briscoe doesn't go out and do an hour, the fans feel ripped off. I mean, 100%. so I, I can understand the, it's still real in that, in that aspect. You know what I mean? That there was, there was a pride. I love talking to flair when, when nature's around, yep. he, he, the stories he tells about the stuff that he had to endure to, to make that championship mean something. So you, you obviously felt the need to carry on that legacy. I felt the responsibility to do my damnedest to try and fit in the same kind of mold, even though that is incredibly impossible. And I never did. I did the best I could. <laughs> Right. Well, we had some some damn fun times along the way. And as you mentioned, it was it was McKeesport, Pennsylvania, which is a <laughs> suburb of Pittsburgh. And I want to say the building we we wrestled in was a, a not a Boy Scout lodge, but it was some sort of social hall in a in a park. That's exactly how I would a social hall. <laughs> it was it was basically a log cabin, an empty log right. cabin in front of what 50, 75 people. Um, so you still need to do some work there, champ on your drawing, <laughs> but, uh, but I, I remember I had just gotten back. I, I had just started going to, to England and wrestling a yep. lot over there. And I broke my nose over there in a match. And I remember coming to you and, and seeing you in the locker room. And I think I might've had my nose like taped up, which what, I think you did does that. Yep. Oh, that was, that was me going up yep, everybody. I've just, I'm working. I'm, you know, the road did this to me. Um, yeah. And I was like, hey, uh, my nose is busted. Why don't you hurt my nose? And that was it. And I can honestly say you were one of the first guys I ever stepped in a ring with that I had enough trust in to just take me through it. That's oh. it, it, That was it, – so no, I appreciate that. And going forward, obviously, I learned the importance of that. But right. I was still in that phase where like, okay, got to get from A to B to C to D. And, and I was I, – I'm like, I'm wrestling the NWA champion and I don't know what's going to happen. Right. <laughs> it was, and it was awesome. It was fun. It's fun. It's fun. It was. Right. It was, it was fun. A, it, it's, yeah. I mean, I, I understand why the, the art has faded. I hate to say it's a lost art, but that's still something that you were able to, to help out with in a capacity as a producer in our live events. No. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's a huge part of our, our industry that by and large, the fan that watches on Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays doesn't see the difference between uh, what we do on television and what we do in an arena setting or on international tours in a lot of ways is, is night and day. You have a, a lot more freedom working in the round, you know, with people all around you, which obviously 2020 has changed the game completely in terms of doing that. But that's where you kind of cut your teeth, right? And that's where you have the opportunity to, to really apply your trade and learn new things and fail at new things so that you learn how not to fail at new things, you know? So it, it's a very challenging environment uh, on Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays in a very different way than what we're discussing right now. But like the, the art, and I won't say it's lost either because I know some of our brothers and sisters can still do that art. That is, I can't wait until our world goes back to some sort of normalcy so we can right. start seeing that art again. 
Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I, I, I had I had seen on this show, and he said something to that effect, and it's become become a recurring theme about the importance of failing. Yeah, and, and the way John put it was, he said he learned to play jazz. Which, if you if you ever been in the ring and you understand and you yeah. know about jazz music, it's the perfect analogy. Like you just yeah. have to react and go with what you're feeling, and and it is. It's it's tough in these these times in this day and age with with you know time limits and whatnot. But the importance of that can't be stressed enough. That's why I felt so strongly and positively about what I was, what I, who I worked with at WrestleMania. If we go back to WrestleMania, we're in the performance center. There's not a soul around the ring there. There weren't any fans. We didn't have the led boards at that point. There was nothing to really react to if you're in the ring. So we made an emphasis to react to each other in a real and visceral way. Let's not throw away the smallest detail let's react to the smallest detail and i'm proud to say charlotte and rhea ripley i think they knocked it out of the ballpark that day i was so proud maybe as proud as i've been as a producer at wwe in the five years i've been here just because they didn't throw anything away yeah they took it all in they took it all in and they used it man and and that even then that feels like ancient history because that was the very beginning of this environment this was even pre-thunderdome pre-virtual fans this was wait a minute this is WrestleMania. There's supposed to be 80,000 people. You're not supposed to be able to even hear your own voice. Dude, an empty room. Think yeah. about that. We're going to look back on this time at who knows when, when we have a chance to actually take a breath and look back and realize just how crazy and remarkable this has been. It's absolutely wild, wild. But back to our match, uh, perhaps my favorite part was the aftermath. Because you you were the NWA champion, and I, and we had a rapport and had a fun hell of a fun match. But I felt like it was my responsibility, as I did with many many of our brethren in, in our generation. Anytime somebody came to Pittsburgh to work, I had I had to show them the ropes. I had to show them my town, and I took you to the most Pittsburgh centric place in the world, Primani Brothers. Legend. The, the legend the, of the Permani Brothers sandwich. The reputation precedes itself, but uh, for those of you who perhaps have been living in a cave, Permani's is the place where they innovated putting the French fries on the sandwich. Everything you need in a meal on one wonderful sandwich. Uh, it's a mess, but it is the, it's quintessential Pittsburgh. I just want to put over the wonderful mess that it is. I, I took, I got to take the NWA champion, the reigning NWA champion to Pramani's, which, you know, I mean, I don't know how Flair would have fared in Pramani brothers. I don't know. It was quite up to that. that actually, I probably had a great time there. Yes, uh, but yeah, would have. yeah. Pramani sandwich and Iron City beer. Oh, and way more Iron Cities than I think could reasonably have been counted by two men. I mean, it, let's face it. We were in no condition to count them regardless if we wanted to. Or not. <laughs> but I'm going to back up to the match. Now that I'm thinking about it, we're talking about WrestleMania and empty rooms and all that. Perhaps you and I deserve more credit for having a great wrestling match in an empty room and That's then true. going and drinking Iron City until it went out of style. That- <laughs> I don't remember anything except Iron City. I don't remember the match. I remember Kid Cupid. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> We gotta, I gotta give some love to Kid Cupid. I don't know if he listens. So I, I don't know what Kid Cupid's up to. But Cupid was one of those characters. That's the one thing that we all have. We, we talk about it. Uh, WWE Network did a, a documentary about FCW, about just the characters that came through those doors, the characters that had contracts with WWE that would blow your mind. But in a whole different realm, the characters that we all have experienced and encountered Ooh. on the independence. My God, if that's not a book in and of itself, Kid Cupid was 
and I say this without malice, approximately between four and 500 pounds in a hot pink singlet, in a hot Hot pink singlet. And we, (laughs) you know where I'm going with this. (laughs) We, we talked him into recreating the infamous WWE Shawn Michaels photo with the championship. And if you don't know what photo we're talking about, stop this podcast, go Google it. It's not hard to find. You, You can't unsee it. But now take take jacked, shredded HBK in the prime of his career, replace it with a 400-plus-pound man in a hot pink singlet, and uh, that was that was what we did. You get a much better photo, in my opinion, one that I've never seen. I don't know. Have you seen it? Which one? The photo of Cupid with no, the— uh, No, no, no. I know we we had him recreated. I, I, it exists. That's all I can verify. I don't know where it is. I'm sure with, if I send enough text messages out, I could track them down. But I think the world I'm needs to do that. <laughs> I'm calling on the world right now. I'm speaking to you. My hand is touching your hand. If somebody's got the kid Cupid photo, please. I know two people <laughs> that want to see it, but I feel like the world at large needs it more and more than we do. He was a sweetheart of a man. I, I loved having him around, but man, what, what a time. So that was one of those things that just gives you pause, when you, especially when you look back and you go, what the hell was I doing with my life? Yeah, no, I think it's great when, hey, you get, I'm sure you get this too with fans ask you, hey, do you remember this? And I'm like, no, I remember Kid Cupid, a whole lot of high city <laughs> beer. And I remember punching old Corey Graves in the nose. That's it. I don't remember yeah. anything else about that day. I forgot we were in a log cabin until you said that. We were yeah. in a log cabin. Crazy. <laughs> Absolutely insane. So r- run me through some uh, some of your favorite memories as NWA champion that maybe maybe draw some fun correlations to the people that WWE fans would know now. Wow. Um, you know, the, the opera, just the opportunities I had to travel, like, and work with guys who I, I ordinarily may not have worked with. So just off the top of my head, jumping forward, I worked one time in Brownsville, Texas, which is way down in the bottom corner of, of, of our country against Carlito. I don't know when I would have ever had a chance to work with him outside of that specific opportunity. We had a lot of fun that day, just the international tours. I did a lot in Australia. Seems like for probably from 2009 to 2012, I was in Australia like every other month. So really, that's where I met Buddy Murphy or Murphy, excuse me, who I think is going to really be a fixture in WWE programming going forward. I feel like he has every intangible and it's just now starting to scratch the surface of what he could be capable of. I met him as NWA champion down in Australia. I want to say that's 2000, maybe 11. So we're talking nearly a decade ago now, but just, I ran, I ran across so many diamonds in the rough, if you will, where you know how it is, too. You're in a locker room and you're doing what you're doing, but you kind of look across, you watch the matches that are on before you, and you kind of say, wow, that guy's going to be good, you sure. know, or, hey, that guy's got something. I've been pretty lucky to have kept in contact with a lot of those guys, which is why I, I thought it was a natural fit when WWE hired me in 2015 to be a coach at, at the Performance Center. That cast of characters that was there at that period of time were people that I had run across the decade plus beforehand that I had a a natural rapport with and already had relationships with, which made it easier for me to kind of teach uh, and, and, and give them, give them some of what, what uh, I'd come across along the road. Right on, right on. What was it like for you? How did the, the jump to WWE finally happen for you? So I had my tryout in 2012 uh, in Los Angeles. Fun fact, same tryout Bailey came to the company out of. And, all credit to Jerry Briscoe and Bill DeMott and Canyon Seaman, who works in our talent development department. I got a phone call that said, hey, this guy's going to call you. He's going to offer you a tryout. Uh, 
we're not interested in you as a talent. Know that up front, but accept the trial, which I thought was a very auspicious phone call to get. <laughs> sure. Wait a minute, you want me to try out, but not as a talent. Well, in the weeks leading up to it, it became evident what, what I was being considered for. They wanted to see what I might do and if given the opportunity to be a coach. Keep in mind, I've never trained anybody outside of being uh, a locker room uh, veteran, you know, so it wasn't uncommon for promoters or talent to come to me. Hey, we're thinking about doing this tonight. What do you think? I'm sure you got the same thing along the way. So I've done a lot of that for a long time, but had never, you know, soup to nuts taught somebody how to do what we do. Had the tryout, became evident that I was going to be married to a certain novice. And by novice, I mean zero experience uh, talent. And that went well for three days. And then uh, I, I sat on hold for however long it took to build the Performance Center, because this was pre-NXT in Orlando, pre-Performance okay. Center, still FCW had the FCW. Days. Yep, right. yep. And they didn't want me to come to Tampa because they knew what was happening in Orlando. So I traveled back and forth, I want to say nine times, eight times maybe as a guest coach. It was the longest job interview in the history of job interviews. I'd come for a week and go home. Two months later, I'd come for a week and go home. Hey, you're doing great. Let's come back again. And then finally I got the call and, and came down and started officially in May of 2015. It's crazy. It was a long journey. It absolutely is. And let me ask you this wrestler to wrestler, because yep. you know, I, this was not how I envisioned my career panning out as me a commentator, either. but these yep. are the cards I was dealt. How was it for you coping with, okay, I've done all this work. I've been NWA champion. That's not what they want me for as far as the, the character wise. Well, here's the thing, right? The other side of the coin is that you're preparing and putting other tools in your toolbox. I always tell this to talent all the time. You can do this really well. How many other tools do you have in your toolbox? Going back to Ring of Honor, that was the first time that I was exposed to running wrestling operations top to bottom. Where I was in 2008 when I took over Ring of Honor, it was I had to hire the talent. I had to book the talent. I had to put the shows together. Then a year later, we got television. I have no idea how to do television. I need to learn how to do television. So I surrounded myself with people who had experience in that. Did that for a year and a half at Ring of Honor. On the heels of that, started with David Marquez in Los Angeles Championship Wrestling from Hollywood, who's still on broadcast. Ring of Honor's still on broadcast. So I had done all these things. So I had a resume outside of Scrap Iron Adam Pierce, NWA champion, that I could kind of hang my hat on and, and whether I was doing it right, wrong, or indifferent, I was doing it. And I mm -hmm. think that, that WWE saw value. And, hey, there's this guy who has this kind of varied experience that maybe we don't need to teach everything to from ground zero, so to speak. Right. It was a perfect fit at the perfect time, dude. Me sliding into NXT in that capacity was like putting on a glove. They were doing things that I had been doing for four and five years on my own and independent of WWE. And... I learned that what I had been doing wasn't so far away from what they were doing that I kind of like, oh, this is kind of old hat and it fits and I can yeah. just sit in that chair and kind of not fall on my face. You know what I mean? Hey, it's, it's, such a, it's a potentially daunting place to work, especially when you first walk in the doors. I mean, this is WWE. This is what we dreamed of. And your mind and your P's and Q's and your, I, I, most of us are like church mice sitting there going, oh God, I don't want to screw up. But all you need to do is once you start speaking and people realize, oh, this guy knows what he's talking about. <laughs> it's amazing how the whole company and everything just opens up. And, and it's, yeah. and you realize that as frustrated as people can get and as frustrating as it can be in the grind, you realize, okay, 
we're all on the same team. We're all still doing the same thing that we all love. So how, how talk to me about growing into the role as a producer and maybe from transitioning from coach to becoming a producer on WWE. So this is going to sound crazy and it's going to sound like I'm completely minimizing things. And maybe I am to a certain degree. All I really needed was to know what my marching orders were, i.e., hey, you're in charge of this today. This is what we want to get out of this today. And then terminology. That was the only difference in the way that I managed television on my own coming to WWE. And I credit that to having people around me prior to WWE who had been through the system or worked with the system to kind of give me the insight into, hey, this is how it's done, quote Mm -hmm. unquote. So when I was able to slide in that chair, and, and you know, the one thing I've always appreciated about WWE, at least from my standpoint, is they've always said, hey, there's the fire, jump two feet in that fire and see yeah. how it feels. <laughs> uh-huh. And then you do that and you maybe you burn a little bit, but I didn't. And you know how this goes at TV. Most important thing, right? Hit your time. Hit, hit your time. And the fans at home may not understand what that is, but... Trust me when I say it's very important to hit your well, time. We can, we, can, we can expand upon this a little bit. It was explained to me. Uh, I want to say Dr. Tom Pritchard sat us all down at FC, back Such in the FCW. brother. Oh, yeah. One of the best. And he explained to us in layman's terms the importance of timing on television, where it costs the company, essentially, X number of dollars per minute of 100%. broadcast. When you factor in advertising and and all these revenues, there are a million factors that I can't possibly begin to name. But he laid it out in no uncertain terms that you are being gifted with this time. 100%. What you do with it it is on you. But the time is the most valuable thing you can have in this company. True. And if you are, let's just say, for instance, Corey Graves and Adam Pierce are wrestling in the last segment on the show. And lowest rated very, segment in history. In history, but but <laughs> we have very important business to take care of in that lowest lowest rated segment in history. And we need 10 minutes for that segment. But the guy before us, who only has six minutes, decides he's going to take 10 minutes for himself and we lose our time. Mm-hmm. That's a problem. That's a problem. So uh, first time I sat in that chair, I hit my time and I just looked at everybody, smiled and walked away. <laughs> I, can, I, I can do that. Hold <laughs> you. And the best sitting over my left shoulder was Dusty Rhodes. And oh. I just looked, I looked back at Dream and he smiled and said, you're going to be just fine, kid. <laughs> That's, what else do you need? What else oh. do you need? Yeah. I, he's yeah. the absolute best. I miss him so bad. You and me both. So much. So, so explain to, to fans who may not be familiar more of what your role is, what the role of a WWE producer is. I don't know that I've had anybody on the show who is an active producer uh, and you guys, it's public knowledge now, the importance of that and what you guys bring to the table. But from your perspective, what, what is your day-to-day like, you know, to, to somebody who might not understand? So to make it real simple, I do everything. I do <laughs> literally everything. No, uh, I, I jest, but not really. Listen, man, my days, uh, producers' days at TV especially start before everybody else's. We're there. For context's sake, as soon as we get done doing this, I'm going to get in the shower, put my suit and tie on, and drive to the Thunderdome because we're going to produce some television today. I'll get there three or four hours before anybody else. We'll sit in a meeting. You know the meeting. Oh, where yes. We'll go through the festivities of the day. That may or may not change at all. It may be etched in stone and we may follow through with one set of plans immediately 
I have become extremely adept at rolling with the punches and oh, the punches, they will be coming and they will be coming fast and furious and in numerous, numerous counts. So producers are on their toes constantly. We are the behind the scenes uh, deliverers of information, uh, sometimes wanted, sometimes not. We are responsible for making sure that our specific duties for the day, be that one segment, two segments, three segments or more, not only hit their time, but provide the content we're responsible for. So sometimes that means I need to get in the ring and teach somebody how to do something they've never done before. Those are always fun days. Um, and then I've got to, once the broadcast comes to fruition, sit there in the chair we're talking about with the headset on, communicate what we're seeing to our broadcast partners, our television truck, our producers, our directors, before it actually happens so they can have their cameras in position to capture the images we're trying to give the viewer at home. And if all of that happens in a perfect world, we'll hit our time to the second. Everyone will be happy with what they saw and we'll move on to the next day. And that's just describing a TV day. And at least you get the wild adulation of the WWE universe all the time for all of the hard work you put in generally, right? No. <laughs> exactly. I'm imagining the crickets. I'm imagining yeah. the crickets chirping. And that was one of the reasons that I thought you were, you were such a such a perfect guest for this now that your face has been seen a lot more frequently on, on television. Uh, I know that it's weird. I run into people a lot of times who no, never have any idea that I even wrestled ever. Oh, yeah. They think I'm just this smart-ass, loudmouth commentator who talks too much, um, not realizing the journey there. So when people see, who the hell is Adam Pierce? Who's this bald guy in a suit? Why, why is he in charge now? It's like, wait, no, you're actually doing your duties that you do in real life, now just on screen. That's it. It's funny. And what you said is 100% appropriate and completely true. <laughs> Wow, why does that guy always break up in fights? Is he tough or something? Has he ever been a wrestler? Well, I mean. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. That guy, yeah. that guy was the NWA champion. Thank you very much. So what's that? Yeah. <laughs> Man, the world moves too fast. It does. G3 Assistance through Virginia's Community Colleges is your pathway to a new future. Helping those who qualify pay for school and train for the right career. Right where you are, right now. Learn more at vccs.edu forward slash G3. So I, I misspoke. I, I have had TJ, Tyson Kidd, on the podcast prior. Another great brother. Absolutely. And we talked about his journey and his transition from being a competitor to a producer. He spoke a lot about being able to live vicariously through talent. What are some of the most rewarding parts of your day and your job? My favorite thing, bar none, is when you have a match and you put, and you know how it is, whether you're in the match or you're responsible for putting the match together, your heart and soul is now part of that thing. That piece of business is now in you and hopefully part of you goes into that and it comes out. We just had one last week on TV. I won't mention the wrestlers, but when they come back from the ring with smiles on their faces, knowing that they just beat the tar out of each other for a couple of segments and the chairman of the board stands up and gives them a round of applause. That means everybody involved with that segment, the wrestlers, the referee, the cameraman, the producer, the director nailed it. They all did their job. And when it comes back into standing ovation from the crew and gorilla dude, there's nothing better than that, man. And then I just thank everybody, shake hands, tip my cap and walk out the door. It doesn't get any better. As much as we've done on the independence or even in WWE as wrestlers, what really fascinates me to this day 
And I think I've grown to love as much, if not more than what happens in the ring is just the behind the scenes and all the work and the amazing crew that we have. I, I, I have the utmost respect for from the lighting guys to the catering crew to how people know it's a machine. People know it's a massive corporation, a corporate entity. But to see these people that you have relationships with, it's truly a team effort. And that to me is probably the most amazing thing about WWE as a whole is that they've built this team. And, and it sounds cliche. We always talk about family and just like family, you got members you want to punch in the face sometimes. And, and some people want to punch you in the face, but ultimately it's for the good of the family and moving things forward. And it's the business that we love. Yeah. You said it perfectly. I was just about to say it. So thanks for stealing my line. It is <laughs> it, dude. It's a family. These are people top to bottom from catering to our parking guys, to the lighting techs, to our props technicians. These are people that will never ever get the credit they deserve from the public at large. And that's just the way the things are. We see these people more than we see our own families on a weekly basis. You know what I mean? And you, mm -hmm. you built that and, and, and said it. It's so true, dude. They're family. They're family. And they're all working to the common goal, right? We're all trying to, to put smiles on faces. That's what the, the marching orders always are. Some days are better than others, but we're doing it together. And I think, especially in this year, some togetherness is... Uh, sorely needed much needed no doubt about that so after all you've been through and i'm sure we glossed over way too much but in this current role that that adam pierce is in as producer uh what what are you excited about what are you looking forward to what more do you want is there something else that that still escapes you that you're trying to attain uh what keeps you kind of going you know what man and this will perhaps sound cliche uh, i don't really care if it does but when I signed on to come on and join the WWE family, to me, that was the goal, as we talked about. That's always been the goal of anybody who got into our business is to get where you and I are fortunate enough to sit, right? I'm, so, I'm going to cut you off only in the saying that as we all grow as performers, the goal, we keep moving our own goalposts. I see that. I remember saying, I just want to be able to, to pay my bills. And I did that. And I was broke as hell, but I could come back from England with my, my t-shirt money and pay my rent. And I was like, okay, I made it. And it was like, wait, I'd like to buy a car with my wrestling money. And da, 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 fast forward all these years, you keep moving. And it was like, I want to get to WWE. Got there. Got to do this. Now what? So I, I just, just give it some context to where you're at. I apologize. Yeah, come, dude, come you, you're, you're right though, man. The, the goals do move as you do progress. I'd love to continue on kind of my own personal path that I've set out. Like I've got two kids, they need college paid for. I don't want to have them go through. And this is, it's not a knock. I paid for my own college. I'm still paying my student loans and I probably will for the next 20 years. I don't want that. I want them to go to college. I bought them a house. Their mom is happy. As long as the people who share the same last name as me get up every morning and don't have a care in the world, I'm doing what I need to do. And I want to make sure that I'm on the path to continuing them doing that each and every day, period. Well said. I couldn't have said it any better than that. That's that's awesome. Uh, but selfishly, because I want to stir the pot and poke Please. the bear. If Please. Adam Pierce could step in the ring one more time against anybody currently on the WWE roster, who would it be and why? Oh, wow. Currently on the roster. See that? Now you're making me name names, which I hate to do. However, um, I, I got to get something good for the internet to get riled up about. <laughs> now, the heel in me likes the way you think. You know what, man? I want Randy Orton to run his mouth 
just a little bit too much to WWE official Adam Pierce, so he can eat the same right hand that your nose did in McKee's court <laughs> way back when. So that, I don't know, and WWE official, maybe the same WWE official Adam Pierce has to make a match or maybe the chairman says, no, you put your foot in your mouth. Now you have to have a match against the Viper, and he RKO's me in 30 seconds, and we go to the bank together. How's that sound? <laughs> there it is. The, the, the end result is all the same. As long as that check cashes, whatever you want me to do, God bless. Whatever you need. As I say, every production meeting, whatever you need. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. Before I let you go, off the top of your head, what's one of the most shocking things you learned since coming to WWE? The most shocking, and maybe shocking is not the right word, but the most surprising, and then uh, in a very positive way, everything my trainers taught me to do in 1995 still works today in 2020. That's it. If you if you know if you know the business, the business hasn't changed that much <laughs> as far as the meat and potatoes. Of it. And I don't know why that was surprising to me. I mean, I, I don't. I, I guess it was because. The guys that I came through, they didn't have big names and they weren't WWE superstars and they weren't world champions, but they absolutely laid a groundwork for me that has carried me 25 years later, crazy enough as that number sounds to me. It still works. And so that's why if I would throw anything out to young, aspiring WWE superstars, find reputable people with, with some track record to show you the right way. The fundamentals. The fundamentals are called that because no matter what, they will never change. <laughs> you cannot build a house without a foundation, my brother. That's it. That's it. I was going to ask you to give some advice to any aspiring WWE superstars, but you beat me to it. See, turnabout's fair play. I, I, <laughs> you gave me, you gave it to me. I gave it back. Hey, so how about this? Here, here's your inspirational, and I'll leave it at that quote of the day. All right. To, to the young, aspiring one day, pie in the sky, looking in the future, future Corey Graves of the world who will end up working here at WWE. I wear this T-shirt a lot. My son made this, but this is my little mantra. Work hard, treat people fairly, earn respect. If you do those things every day, I promise at some point you'll end up earning the respect and you can go wherever you want to go because a brother like me who should have never been sitting in the chair I am is. I am your blueprint. So are you, Corey Graves. That's you it. should have never got we should not, we shouldn't even be here. We should be at Primanti's <laughs> right now. <laughs> I was gonna say I should have I should have a belly the size of, you know, a small country and a, a stack of fries in front of me right now. Amen. I might still after lunch, actually. I, I... I'll meet you there. There you go. Well, Adam, I know you got a busy day ahead of you to go produce uh, WWE television. I will see you in a few days. This was a blast. I uh, hope we get to do it again a little longer at some point. I know you got a ton to get to, but uh, good, thanks baby. for hanging out, man. Anytime, dude. Anytime. And I look forward to us at one point or another in the future when we actually can do this. Clinking and tipping back in Iron City. Just for old time's sakes. And, and you know what? For Kid Cupid. Amen. God bless. Yes, sir. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Appreciate it. Well, that was fun. Always nice to catch up with a friend outside of the work environment, even though this is technically kind of still work, but it's fun work. That's the best kind. Keep your eyes peeled. I'm sure you will see more of Adam Pierce in the weeks to come than you actually care for, because it's more than I care for. I can say that because he's my friend. If you're not already, follow at After the Bell WWE on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Join the conversation. Use the hashtag After the Bell. I say this each and every week because I mean it. If you're using Apple Podcasts and you haven't thrown me a review, please do. 
Five stars is the best kind of review that helps spread the word about the greatness that is ATB. If you're using an Android, ATB's on Spotify, Pandora, iHeartRadio, and Google Podcasts. So make sure you never miss an episode because it's gold. It's very important. I swear. Follow me at WWE Graves. I don't know why you'd do that. It's really not that exciting. I'm kind of bored with it these days, but give it a shot anyway if you want to look at pics of my dog and cat. And uh, I'll be back next week with a little more wisdom, more vitriol, and more WWE after the bell. 